0: Uh, This morning we're going to be continuing our series on Kingdom Builders. And it was during the summer now, uh, following my sophomore year of high school, that I actually went on my first mission trip to Mexico, And again, I was growing up in the Chicagoland area at the time, so a Mexico trip was a big deal for us. I mean, we had to get on a plane, we drew, uh, flew to Phoenix, then we would drive, you know, rent a bunch of vans there, drive into the country, serve, drive back out, fly home. And so it wasn't something that happened every year for us. But what we did was very similar to what LifePoint does in that we had a construction project that we were going to try to help out with and then provide a VBS, a vacation Bible school, for the kids in the community that we were in. So our our team was tasked with digging a foundation for this building that needed to be constructed. And and part of this building process or project was we needed to dig a trench. And this trench that was gonna serve ultimately as the foundation was about three feet wide, two to three feet deep, and about mm, 20 feet long or so on each side. And we were going to do all of the digging with pickaxes and shovels, right? A lot of fun. A lot of fun. If you never tried it, you really should. It's a good time. Um, And and so as you can imagine, right, brutal, hard work. You're in Mexico. It's hot. And so after digging the trench then, our plan was to fill it with cement that was going to serve as the foundation. Of course, the cement we would be mixing by hand. And then we would construct a cinder block wall, right, uh, uh, around the outside to serve as the four walls of this building. And our hope was that while we were down there, we would be able to build a large portion of this facility, of this structure for this team that was down there serving in Mexico. However, on day one, right, we found out that the ground was very hard, right? It was dry, it was hard, and it was also filled with large rocks. And so our progress was much slower than any of us would have liked. And in fact, it took us the majority of the week to even just dig the foundation. And so by the end of our time there, we only had a row or two of cinder blocks complete on one side of the building, right? So needless to say, there was a lot of the work that remained undone, and other mission teams from around the country were eventually going to go down and and continue to build on what we had started. Now, if I'm being real, though, if I'm being honest, it was extremely disappointing that we weren't able to accomplish more. Certainly, the, the finishing of this foundation and the fact that we were able to lay a few bricks, I mean, that was all well and good. That, that took a lot of work. But, but it was a, a bummer because it just seemed like the amount of bricks we laid, it just seemed small. And it seemed insignificant. This morning, like we said, we're going to finish up this series called Kingdom Builders. And last week, Pastor Chris talked about uh, the kingdom, Judas Iscariot. One of the 12 disciples was building. Right, and Judas thought that the Messiah who was to come, the Messiah that he knew all about from the Old Testament scriptures, right, that he was going to come and overthrow the Roman government. This was the kingdom that he had in mind. This was the kingdom he wanted to establish. However, this this idea, the, his desires didn't necessarily fall in line with the kingdom that Jesus was coming to establish. You see, Judas had some misguided expectations. And these expectations ultimately led him to betray Jesus. And this betrayal sparked a series of events that that led to Jesus being crucified. And while he was being led to the hill where he would be crucified, we're introduced to to a couple of characters that we're going to be focusing on this morning. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or your Bible app to Luke 23. Luke 23, we're going to check out a few different passages this morning, but that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time. Luke chapter 23. And I want to read for us a couple of verses. We're going to pick up the story starting in 32, and I want to read the first couple of verses for us. This is Luke 23, starting in verse 32. It says, Two other men, both criminals, were let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, There they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, and the other on his left. Now, if if you've grown up in church or if you're familiar with this account, or even if you've seen this image, right there's always around Easter time we see this image of three crosses. We know Jesus was crucified in the middle, and so we understand that hey, there was other people who were crucified with Jesus, and it was these criminals, it was these guys. But really, if you think about it. We don't know much about these guys who were crucified with Jesus. In fact, the Bible doesn't even tell us their names. It's kind of like actors who have a minor role in a film or a TV show, right? And when you get to the credits, yeah, they're listed, but they're identified by like a role and their number, right? Oh yeah, that's passenger one and two, right? Oh, that's customer three and four and five. And so for our purposes here, it's kind of like we have criminal one and criminal two. Because the reality is we just don't know much about these guys. And the criminals are not only nameless, but the Bible doesn't even tell us what crimes they committed. Now, the book of Matthew and Mark, they also give an account of the crucifixion, and they talk about these other criminals. And so in in Matthew 27 and in Mark 15, criminal number one and criminal number two, they're also described as robbers but that's about as specific as it gets. Now, we know that whatever crime they committed warranted crucifixion. Whatever they had done, right? Whatever wrong act they had committed, it was, it was a, the result was going to be capital punishment. Now, of course, merely robbing someone, not that that's a, a good thing by any means, but merely robbing someone, that wouldn't justify criminal or, or this capital punishment. And so there's one commentator who speculates that, yeah, that yes, these criminals, they were, they were robbers, but perhaps also insurrectionists or revolutionaries of some kind. They were living in opposition to the Roman government, which was a capital offense according to Roman law. Now, one thing we do know from Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account of the crucifixion is that everyone mocked Jesus. Everyone heaped insults on Jesus while he hung there on the cross. You don't need to turn here, but but allow me to read for us Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 to 43. It says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Everyone mocked Jesus. But what's even more fascinating to me is that the Bible goes on to say that even the criminals who were crucified with Jesus, they also heaped insults on him. They also joined in on the attack. The very next verse of Matthew 27, in verse 44, it says, in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Mark fifteen thirty-two says, those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. So here we have two men who were building their own kingdom. They spent their lives building their own kingdom. And again, we're not entirely sure what the kingdom, what type of kingdom they were building right? If they were insurrectionists, as one commentator speculates, perhaps they were trying to build this kingdom of of, of authority and power. Maybe they wanted to be the ones who were, were in charge and who were calling the shots, or they wanted someone else to be the ones who were calling the shots, right? They were tired of the Roman government. But whatever the case may be, The kingdom that they were after, the kingdom that they were pursuing, the kingdom that they were trying to build. They chose at some point to do that in such a way that society and certainly Roman law didn't allow. And now, hanging on the cross as we encounter these men, as their life soon comes to an end, and as we examine what we know about them, I can't help but ask the question, what do they have to show for it? What do they have to show for building their own kingdom? What do they have to show for it? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What do I have to show for it, right? What do I have to show for it? What do I have to show for the kingdom I'm building? You see, with their final breath, when their time on earth comes to an end, the kingdom they had been building, whatever they were trying to build, it would be gone. It would come to an end. It would be no more. The kingdom they were building, the kingdom they were pursuing would not last beyond their time on earth. However, Luke records a portion of the crucifixion account that's unique to his gospel. Follow along as I read Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. It says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. See, now not long before both criminal one and two were insulting Jesus along with everyone else, they had joined in on the attack The Bible tells us that even the criminals were insulting him. So what changed? What happened? Why did one of these criminals have this change of heart? See, I can't help but think it had something to do with Jesus' words in Luke 23, verse 34. And while hanging on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. Who says that? Right? Who says that? After being betrayed, denied by one of his closest followers, punched, beat on, spit on, going through this unfair trial, humiliated, condemned, And ultimately crucified. Who says that? Who forgives in that moment? When they're in the lowest of the low. Father, forgive them. You see, hearing these words opens the spiritual eyes of one of the criminals. He understands that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah, He must really be the king of the Jews. It's not just this sign hanging above Jesus' head that says, hey, this is what we're crucifying him for. This must be reality. He must be who he says he is, the king of the Jews. And this realization leads him to rebuke the other criminal and repent, to turn to Jesus and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom." You see, in his final moments, this, this criminal, he makes an exchange. His kingdom for God's. He comes to see that his life of kingdom building has gotten him nowhere. And now as it all comes to an end, he realizes how unfulfilling it is. He has nothing to show for it. He's been pursuing this kingdom his whole life, however it looks. All we know that has gotten him hanging on the cross And he has nothing to show for it. He has nothing to show for it. But before it's too late, he sets his own kingdom aside and submits to the rule and reign of Jesus, the one and only king. And in response to his request, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. That's got to be one of the most amazing statements in all of Scripture. I mean, just think about what it would have been like for that criminal hanging on the cross to hear those words before he takes his final breath. Today, you will be with me in paradise. There's no questions. Jesus himself has said, hey, I'll see you later. I'll see you later. How awesome would that be? You see, these verses in Luke 23, it gives us a couple of reasons to rejoice, to celebrate. And first is the fact that one of these criminals were saved. He puts his faith and trust in Jesus to save him. And this is the decision we want everyone to make. All of you here this morning, we want every single person to get to that point where they realize, man, living my own way, that's gonna leave me unfulfilled. The void will always be there no matter what I'm chasing. I gotta put my faith and trust in Jesus. That's the only way to change things. To give up my kingdom and allow him to reign. To pursue him and his kingdom. It's the most important decision that you'll ever make. Right, we want everyone to come to this realization that pursuing your own kingdom is pointless. And then commit to following Jesus and building the kingdom of God. And so if we we're going to sum it up, an odd way to sum it up, what we need to remember is be like the criminal, right? Be like the criminal. Submit your life to Jesus just like he did. Be like the criminal. Maybe we'll make that a hashtag, right? Be like the criminal. LifePoint Church, that's where to do that, you know? It'd be awesome. I'm sure we'll grow immensely. See, we have another reason to celebrate, though, from Luke 23. We have another reason to rejoice and have hope. Because what we learn from this passage is that as long as we have breath in our lungs, it's never too late to say yes to Jesus. It's never too late. It doesn't matter what you've done. It's never too late. It doesn't no matter how old you are. It's never too late. See, in his final moments, before he took his last breath, while he was hanging on the cross, Jesus ensures that this man will be saved. And as long as we're alive, it's never too late to say, Jesus, I'm yours. Please forgive me. Allow me to be a part of your kingdom. See, God's grace is available to us until the last breath. Until the clock hits triple zero, there's still time. There's still reason to have hope. And so for all of us here this morning, because you're breathing, hopefully, right? You're alive. There's still time. There's still time. You still have the opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus. You can set your kingdom aside. And make Jesus the king of your heart. Or maybe for some of you, you've been praying for a family member, a friend, or a neighbor. And maybe you've been doing that for years and years and years. And you've gotten to the point where you're just like, man, they're never going to put their faith and trust in Jesus. I've invited them to church so many times, they're never going to accept that invitation. I don't think it's going to happen. But don't give up. Because there's still time. As long as we have breath in our lungs, there's still hope. And God wants all men to come into a saving relationship with him. The Bible is clear about that. So don't give up on them. Keep praying for them. Keep pursuing them. Keep inviting them. Grab one of our Easter invites and, and invite them to one of our weekend services next week. It's not too late for them. And while we do have reason to rejoice, there's also a few tragic elements to this story. And one of those tragic elements is the reality that one of these criminals was only but a few feet away from Jesus. And yet, he fails to put his faith and trust in him for his salvation. He's feet away from Jesus and he doesn't get it. He doesn't see it. He still hangs on to his own kingdom until the very end. He never submits his life, and his kingdom to the one true king. And if we're going to summarize that, don't be like the criminal, right? Don't do that. Don't hold God at an arm's length. He's inviting you to accept him, to put your faith and trust in him. Don't miss that. Another tragic element of this story is a life wasted. An opportunity missed you see what if the robber who had put his faith and trust in jesus at the very end did so earlier on in his life or what could have been accomplished for the kingdom of god through a life that had been lived for jesus not just at the very end but for the entirety and of course we're never going to know the answer to that question And while we may never know the answer to that question as it pertains to the criminal, I think that's a very valuable question for you and I to ask ourselves. What could God accomplish through me for His kingdom if I lived my life devoted to Him? What would God do through me, in me, in the lives of others to build His kingdom if I lived devoted to Him? What would that look like? What could God accomplish Not because I'm so great, not because I have it all together, but because I'm relying on him, I'm trusting in him. What would that look like? Joshua and Christy Lehrer have been attending LifePoint for a number of years and and they were serving, have been serving in student ministry and in young adults faithfully, even back into the point where, where I was doing student ministry here at the church. Some of our most committed volunteers, students love them. A while back, fairly recently, even within the last year, they got connected to some local missionaries here in the Sacramento area who are ministering among the the growing Afghan refugee population here in the Sacramento area. In fact, once anybody, uh, most likely, if there's a a refugee from Afghanistan, they're coming to Sacramento because there's already a large population here, 10,000 plus in the Sacramento area, and it's growing quickly. And they are interacting, they built relationships with this couple who was, who was performing essentially a sports ministry, a soccer ministry, trying to build relationships with all of these refugees and introducing them to Jesus. And the layers were like, man, this is really cool. And they, so they started to get involved. You know what they did on Friday, like a couple of days ago? They had sold their house and they moved to Carmichael. Why? Because they want to live amongst this Afghan refugee community to reach them. That's it. They didn't quit their jobs, but they moved from Elk Grove, where we have all the sports, we got all the schools, where they were set up. Their church is less than a mile down the road from them. They were comfortable. They had everything that they needed. But now they've moved to Carmichael to serve as missionaries, because they get it. And I'm not saying that's for everyone, but when we have that perspective of I'm going to do whatever I can to build God's kingdom, he will use us to do amazing things. They're committed to building the kingdom of God. You see, as followers of Jesus, we not only have this opportunity, it's more like a calling. It's not just an opportunity, it's a calling to spend our lives building God's kingdom. And when it comes to What Jesus wants us to do, he clearly communicates his expectations for us. In Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30, Jesus tells the parable of the talents. You don't need to turn there. I want to give you the Cliff Notes version this morning. right? There was this man, and he was going to go on this long trip, but before he leaves, he calls a few of his servants to him, and he says, hey, I'm going to entrust you with some of my money. And so he calls these guys to him, and he says, hey, I'm going to give you five talents, which is a, a denomination of money, and, and to this one, I'm going to give you two talents, and to this last servant, he was going to give one talent. And while the master is away then, the, 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 some of the servants, they begin putting this money to work, and the one who had five, he gained five more. And the one who had two, He gained two more. They listened to Dave Ramsey. Right? But then this last one, right? He took what he had, what the master had entrusted him, and he and he dug this hole and he buried it. Now that sounds a little odd, but this was his way of preserving the money, the preserving the master's money. He wanted to keep it safe. Now eventually this master returns and he settles accounts with his servants. And, and when he the master learns that the servant with five talents had earned five more, and the servant with two talents had earned two more, he says to them, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come share your master's happiness. Finally, the master turns his attention to the servant who had received one talent. And we find their conversation in Matthew 25, verses 24 through 27. Allow me to read it for us. It says, Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Now, obviously, the master's response to those who had gained more is much different than his response toward the one who had only re- or that had given him back this talent. And initially, we may wonder why? Like, why is the master so upset? I mean, it's not like the servant stole it or wasted it or lost it. I mean, he preserved it, he, he gave it back to him. Nothing happened. He was able to give it back to him what was rightfully his. So, what's the big deal? And while that may be true, verses 26 and 27 show that God expects something more from us, his followers. He expects something more from us. See, one commentator writes, God wants us to use whatever opportunity he gives us. The servant was judged unfaithful because he did nothing productive. We must make the most of our opportunities and use our gifts productively. In other words, God wants us to build his kingdom. That's what he expects. That's what he calls us to. This is the responsibility that we have. And so if you think about it, every word we speak, everything we do, how we raise our kids, how our, uh, we function in our marriage, how we spend our money, how we lead our company, the kind of employee that we are, the kind of student that we are. Every time we interact with someone who does not yet have a relationship with Jesus, these are opportunities to stack bricks for God's kingdom. Right? And until we consider ourselves to be masons, Bricklayers, kingdom builders for, for God, right? In every aspect of our lives, we're going to be missing opportunities. We're going to miss opportunities to build his kingdom. And so you and I, our calling is to live as masons on a mission. Masons on a mission. You see, unfortunately though, so many of us, we say, Well, I- I'm not going to submit my life to Jesus until the very end. This criminal, he was on to something. He did things his way, his entire life, and Jesus still came in at the ninth hour and rescued him. I- I'll just do it that way, right? And so many people have that mentality oh, I'm just going to wait till the end. Or so many of us were already followers of Jesus, but we're not living our lives for him. We're building our own kingdom. And whenever we have either of these approaches, it limits what we can do. It limits our contribution toward building God's kingdom. And sure, we may have a relationship with him. The foundation is there, but that's it. Or you've laid a brick or two for God's kingdom, but you don't have much to show for it. And our lives look a lot like that building in Mexico that we weren't able to finish. The foundation is there, but not much else is going on. Why? Because we waited to submit to Jesus. We wanted to build our kingdom first. Or we just never wanted to submit our lives to him. Or we're building a kingdom of our own. A kingdom that's not going to last. Now you may not waste your life pursuing a kingdom that involves criminal activity. At least I hope not. right? You may not do that like the thief on the cross did. But it's still so easy for us to fall into this trap of building our own kingdom here. And each of us, it's gonna look different. How we build is going to look different for every single person. Some of us are gonna build a kingdom of notoriety. We wanna make a name for ourselves. And we're gonna do that through our jobs, through sports, through accomplishments. We want to be known. Others of us, we're trying to build a kingdom of success. For us, it's all about title, position, the next promotion, even if it comes at the expense of someone else. It's all about climbing the corporate ladder and getting to the top. Others of us are trying to build a kingdom of treasures on earth. It's all about the nice car, the big house, the luxurious vacations, the expensive clothes, the newest tech. And we're living this endless pursuit of money and stuff. For some of us, we're building our kingdom around our family. Everything else takes a back seat to family. And we see this from time to time from parents who, their kid, they just insist, they got to be first. They got to be on the court. They got to be on the field. They got to get into this school. Even if it means throwing a little bit of extra money to make it happen. It's messed up, Aunt Becky. It's messed up. (laughs) Full house. Mm -hmm. See, some of us might be building our kingdom around a comfortable and stable future. If it's going to touch our 401k, we're not doing anything. Because the 401k, the 403b, the 40 whatever, whatever, that is the be-all, end-all. And if something is going to mess with that, I ain't doing it. We build our own kingdoms. And again, it's going to look different for everyone. And what what you're building may not be inherently wrong. But we have to ask ourselves the question, am I building my own kingdom at the expense of God's? Right? Am I building my own kingdom at the expense of God's? What bricks get laid where first? On my kingdom? And like, yeah, if I got a little extra time, I'll build on God's. Where are you building first? Are you building your own kingdom at the expense of God's? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10-15, through 15, Paul writes, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that already is laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. And if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burnt up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. See, I love that line each one should be careful how he builds. You know what that means? We're all building something. If we all need to be careful how we build, that means we're all building something. It means we're all going around each and every day with bricks in our hands. We're all walking around and we have this decision to make. Where am I going to build? Because no one determines that but you, right? No one gets to put this brick down but you. And we're all walking around with these bricks. And so what are we gonna do with it? Where are you going to build? because you're the only one who gets to make that decision. And so what are you building? Is it your brand, my career, my future, my family, my finances, my this, my that? What are you building? Is it your own kingdom, one that's not going to last? Or are you building God's kingdom, one that's gonna last forever? It's not going anywhere. See as Paul said whatever we build during our time on earth it's eventually going to be tested. It says our work will be shown for what it is. And I don't know about you. But I want the things that I spend my life building to survive. I got one shot. I got one life. That's it and I want to make the most of it for God's kingdom I want it to count and the only way to go about doing that the only way to ensure that that happens is to build God's kingdom is to build God's kingdom You see God wants to use each and every one of us it doesn't matter what we've done it doesn't matter who we are It doesn't matter our background he wants to use us to build his kingdom And all we have to do to make that happen is to set our kingdom aside, devote ourselves to him. And then we'll be able to look back at the end of our life, not with regret, wondering what could have been, but in amazement at how God used us to build his kingdom, to make his name great. To build something that's going to last. And so what kind of kingdom builder are you? What kind of kingdom builder are you? And I hope and pray that that you'll be a mason on mission. That we will all live lives that contribute to the building of his kingdom and not our own. Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we screw this up so often. We're constantly carrying around bricks and we're constantly putting them down in the wrong spot. And I'm sure you're wondering from time to time, when are they gonna get it? When are they gonna start doing things differently? When are they gonna put their faith and trust in me, recognizing that how they're building isn't gonna last? God, so one more time, forgive us God, show show grace to us. We need it. God, each and every day, that's never gonna change. Change the desires of our hearts. We can't do that on our own. God, don't don't allow us to be about notoriety. Don't allow us to be about our money and stuff. Don't allow us to be about our, our security, our stability, our comfort. God, take those things from our hearts. Replace it with a desire to build your kingdom, something that, It's going to last for all eternity. Use us, God. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.